They interact with those people's lives. They know them by name, and it was great for us to also meet them and know them by name. But it's their influence, it's their lives, it's their prayers, it's their stories, it's their faithfulness over time that is really going to make the sustainable impact that we trust God will bring about in that community. But really what we did in that moment, as, as they said to us at one point during the week, we never could have done this without you. We never could have pulled this off without you. And so, again, my American mindset begins to take over when I start counting. Because we should have more, and this should be better, and faster. And, and man, what a confrontation my mindset had. The Spirit of God just said, one person matters to God. Amen. One person. One family. And then, uh, over the week's time, to see these children bring their families back. Really, their mothers. And 55 people to be at a barbecue was like, look at what that does, right? So when they say, we couldn't have done this without you, what they're saying is, you've really given us a boost. It's our job. But what you've really done is that we couldn't have reached the cookie jar without a boost. We couldn't have done this without you supporting us with your time and your resources. And so we praise God for that, right? We praise God for that opportunity. And we trust that there will be more opportunities to do this, more ways that we can get behind them financially, more ways that we can send people in teams. So already now, in the back of your mind, have, be praying, will I be in the team of seven next year? Is the Lord calling me to this, to give up a, a, such an uh, important part of my summer? That's what happens. My vacation time to go see and participate in what God is doing around the world. Because remember, right? Churches supporting churches. They couldn't do it without us. And so our prayers continue to be with them. Uh, let's pray briefly, and we're going to pray more uh, when, uh, during our communion time for Merck Hinch Free Church and Chris Davidson. Father, all praise and glory to you. You are the great faithful God who does all things in accordance with his will for his good purposes, and what a privilege it was to participate in what you're doing in that community. We pray that we would sustain that commitment, that it would not be something we did, but this would be something we are doing, week in, week out, throughout our time and our partnership with them. I pray that you would sustain our joy in serving them and our passion in funding them. Lord, we pray now that you would continue your work there and bring conversions and connections in that community through the ministry of Chris, Catherine, Martin, Christy, and their launch team. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen? Amen. Amen. So much more could have been said, I know. But bear with us. There'll be more stories as time goes on. And you know, one other way that you can hear more is like invite one of the team members over to your house. Right? Open up your home. Ask them questions and hear. Be surprised how God blesses you when you do that. This time I'm going to dismiss the children downstairs. So, uh, yeah, it's not Family Sunday, parents. Don't worry. We're going to send the kids downstairs as they continue their journey in the Gospel Project. I went to uh, set out to plant a congregation in 2006, 2007. There were two books that came out in and around that time that caught my eye at the bookstore. One of those books was written by Dan Kimball. 
And it was called this. They like Jesus, but not the church. They like Jesus, but not the church. There was another book that came out uh, a little bit after that, written by Kevin DeYoung. And it was called, Why We Love the Church. And the subtitle was interesting, as it said, In Praise of Institutions and Organized Religion. You could see one was, in many ways, written in response to the other. And in many ways, uh, written in response to a growing trend that was taking place in America and across the world. That people were more and more still cool with the Jesus thing. But when it came to church, the bride of Christ, they were less and less interested. Matter of fact, when it comes to the church, many people feel a certain amount of disdain or disgust. Much of that disgust is real and understandable because of the hurt they've experienced or maybe even the very real sins that have been committed against them. Disgust is very much a prominent posture that people have toward the church. Others may not be disgusted with the church, but more disappointed, right? Like there's unmet expectations here. I came, I thought I was going to hear about love and grace, and what I really got was a thorough beating with guilt. I'm I'm disappointed. I thought I'd be uh, served faithfully, I'd be loved, I'd I'd be served well, and my leaders failed morally, miserably. And so really, there's a lot of disappointment that comes with people's expectations related to the church. I probably think that most people are in this middle ground in our day today. It's more disinterest, right? Like, you can have it. You can take it or leave it. It really has no bearing on my life. It really doesn't uh, draw me. It really doesn't uh, repulse me. It's neutral. Church is pretty much uninteresting. So they are disinterested. Last, you have a group of people that approach the church out of a sense of duty, dutifully, right? This is what I'm supposed to do. This is what we're all supposed to do. With some sort of religious expectation, people approach church, they engage in church out of a sense of duty. They do so dutifully. And then there are others, probably the smallest part of the world. It's those that engage the church out of a sense of delight, a sense of joy, a sense of pleasure when they think about Christ's church. You look at those words up there on the screen, where do you fit on that spectrum today? If that's a continuum, if that's a spectrum, albeit imperfect, where are you in reference to that? Disgust? Disappointment, disinterest, duty, or delight. It's possible and probable that there's a big mixture uh, in your experience and your approach to the body of Christ. The question we're asking this morning in this series diagnosis is do you delight in the bride of Christ? Do you delight? In the bride of Christ? Seems a little odd, right? We're not supposed to delight in somebody else's bride. 
right? Isn't that reserved for the groom? You better not be delighting in anybody else's bride, men. You know what I mean? Seems like an odd question, but really what it's getting at is the church. The bride of Christ is the church of Christ. Right? And so we're asking the question, do you delight in the church of Jesus Christ? It's an important question for us today. Don Whitney says in that book, 10 Questions to Diagnose Your Spiritual Health, he says this, one of the best tests of whether we belong to Christ is whether we delight in His delight. Namely, the people who comprise the church. He goes on to say, delighting in Christ's people is normal, healthy Christianity. So today we're asking the question, do you delight in the bride of Christ? My hope as we engage the scriptures today, it's my, my hope here, is that the Word of God would speak to us about the unique glory, the unique identity that the church and the church alone has in such a way to bring about in us a unique joy that can only be found in the body of Christ. I'm not here today to make you feel bad that you don't love church, okay? Or that maybe your, 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 your interest, your passion levels, your energy like, goes up and down. I'm not here to conjure up a sense of guilt. I'm here to bring joy to you. I think that's what the scriptures really teach about the nature and the unique glory of the church. Is that in seeing it, in knowing it, and in experiencing this glory we are able to also experience and express a unique joy that can only be found in the body of Christ. If you're here today and you're disgusted, I pray that the gospel would heal you today. I pray that if you're here today and you're disappointed, I pray that God would bring hope for you. If you're here today and you're disinterested, I pray that God would inspire you and motivate you. And if you're here today and you're only here out of a sense of duty and obligation, I pray that God would give you joy in this. Really, that's what we're after for all in the body of Christ. A joy, a delight in His bride. Amen? Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 22. Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 22. The glory of the church. Listen to these words. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, 
who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, and in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the Word of God. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. There is a unique joy to be known and experienced, really shared in the church of Jesus Christ. There is a unique joy to be known and shared in the church of Jesus Christ. That is the big idea today. That's it. And we're going to unpackage that. And it goes to say that the basis of such a statement, this unique joy, comes from knowing the church's unique identity as the people of God. The church's unique identity as the people of God. We see the identity of the church as the unique people of God in this passage. I don't think church is anywhere in that passage. I don't think bride is anywhere in that passage. Somebody correct me. But it's all about the church. The creation of the church. The glory of the church. The beauty of Christ's bride. That he has made and brought to himself as his very own people. To highlight this identity, Paul is writing to the Ephesians and he's highlighting their new identity by contrasting it with an old identity, isn't he? To really know and experience the joy of our new identity as the church, as the people of God, it's highlighted through contrast by looking at what we once were. Look at what verses 11 through 12 say. At one time, you were Gentiles in the flesh called uncircumcision by what is called the uncircumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Basically, circumcision marked the people of God. A lack of circumcision marked them off as not the people of God. And this was a great divide. You used to be not the people of God by covenant. And he goes on to unpackage the significance of that. That you were at that time separated from Christ. You had no union with him. You were separated from Christ. He goes on to say that you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Literally alienated, estranged, cast out. You don't belong. You have no place. You have no part. Strangers to the covenants of promise. You didn't even know or you could not integrate 
and receive into your life the promises of God because you are not the people of God. And truth be told, he goes on to say in very stark fashion, you had no hope and you had no real God. You were hopeless and godless. This reminder of who they were is somewhat akin to chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, just a little bit earlier, isn't it? You were dead in your sins. You used to walk according to the prince of the power of the air. That's who you once were. Again, to highlight a contrast to who you now are, which we see here in verse 13. But now, that was then, but now your identity has been transformed. But now you are different. But now your place has changed. Your standing has changed. But now, as opposed to then, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That a radical shift, a radical change has taken place for these people known as the Gentiles who were formerly cut off and alienated and estranged. That in Christ Jesus, an identity shift has taken place. There is a new glory that they know, a new identity that they share in Christ Jesus. That's what the church really is. A community of people that are now in Christ Jesus. The very Christ-centered community. United to Christ. Remember, you've been raised up with Him. You've been seated with Him. His death and resurrection is your death and resurrection. That's the nature of the church. A glory that it alone has. A people of God that have been united to Jesus Christ in His death and resurrection. That's the church, a people in Christ Jesus, union with, connection to, saved by Jesus Christ. That's who the church uniquely is, his people, his bride, brought to him, once far, now brought near, right? The church is Christ's people brought near. That's what the church is. A people that are near to God. No no one else can, can, can grab a hold of that identity. No one else can grab a hold of that reality. It is only the church that is the people brought near to God in Jesus Christ. Trying really hard to survey here for the sake of time. The church is Christ's people united as one. Look at what he goes on to say. For he himself is our peace. He's made us both one. Has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. How? By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body. One. One. 
That's who the church is. One people of God, united together by covenant. That is the church. In, in the world today, we have such a craving for unity and oneness, right? And actually, oneness is like, can be understood to be very pagan, right? It's all the same. The distinctions don't matter. And that's what, what culture's trying to do to grab a hold of this, this inherent unity that they want. Oneness. Go, get away with black and white. Let's make everything gray. So isn't that what you did in the church? Well, sort of. Everything is a little gray. A few shades, right? The point is, is that that's not what we're getting at. It's what culture craves, oneness, unity, and the joy that comes from that. But we see here that God and God alone, through his son Jesus Christ, has created a unified people that were once separated by the law, separated by the old covenant, now brought together as one in Christ Jesus. That's what the church is. And the church is this alone. The church is a people that Christ has brought near that Christ has united as one, a new creation, a new humanity in this world. And we see as well that that oneness is tied to reconciliation. He creates this one new man and, verse 16, might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Oneness. Reconciliation with God. Reconciliation is simply a thorough change back. It's a very relational term. Once far from God, once at enmity with God, once subject to the wrath of God on the basis of sin, the church is the people of God that have now been reconciled back to Him. That are now, right, I no longer call you servants, but friends. Friends of God. No longer subject to his wrath, but now his favor. And the joy that comes with that. The church is the reconciled people of God. I want you to see that. We're, we're a reconciled people. That the obstacle that caused strife, sin, has been overcome by Christ. And now he has done all that is necessary to reconcile us back to him. To have a very real, personal, vital relationship with Almighty God. That's the church. Church is a reconciled people. And again, we, we want peace in the world. We like bumper stickers that say coexist. But the truth is that's sentimentalism. There's no basis for such oneness. There's no basis for such for such reconciliation. There's no basis for nearness to God in that coexisting sentimentalism on the back of cars. We see that the basis of such privileges that the church and the church alone shares is directly related to the atonement. How does this privilege, how does this change occur? Again, I'm surveying here, but you see in verse 13, it says, by the blood of Christ. By the blood of Christ. It goes on to say, in his flesh. Right? Verse 14. He has broken down in his flesh 
the dividing wall of hostility. Later on, it says that peace came through the cross. Reconciled us both to God in one body through the cross. And so what we see here is the church is a people of God that have been reconciled and brought near and united as one on the basis of the death and the substitutionary work of the Son of God on its behalf. Because of the cross... Because of the death of Jesus, because of the blood of Jesus, because of his sacrifice, his flesh that was flogged, because of his finished work on the cross for us, we can know these truths and realities that all that kept us from God as a people has been dealt with perfectly and sufficiently in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's not sentimentality, friends. That's the atonement of God on behalf of sinners. Is that not the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is that not what we, the church, alone is able, not in pride, but in humility to say, yes, these truths are ours in Christ. A unique glory the church has as the people of God. The very people for whom Christ died. His bride, the church, Ephesians 5, right? Husbands, love your wives as what? Christ loved the church and did what? And sat on the couch and watched Netflix while she did the dishes. I just messed with your day yesterday. Actually, I messed with your day today. No. Loved her, what? As Christ loved the church and what? Gave himself up for her. That's what Jesus did. Jesus died for the bride. Died for the bride. Died for the church. He gave himself for a people that he could bring near. A people that he could make as one in a new covenant. By the shedding of his blood. A people that he would reconcile back to God. With joy... uh, uh, unhindered, eternal relationship with his father. That's the church. No one else can you say that about. No corporate entity. No collection of individuals in the same room. You can't say those things about anyone else but the church. It's a dignity and a glory that it alone shares based on the God that did it and made it true. Amen? And we see blessings here, new covenant blessings that the church and the church alone shares with one another. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Throw away verse. What's for lunch? For in him, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Guys, because of Christ and him making a new people for himself, I want you to hear this, very much uh, central to the gospel, that we are now children in the family of the Father, and we always have access to him. The picture that comes to mind is that uh, uh, silly picture, it's actually quite a beautiful picture, of John F. Kennedy sitting at his desk, and underneath you see John Jr., you familiar with this picture? 
the President of the United States. And yet the Son always has access to the Father. The Son always can be with the Father. The Son's always with the Father. The Son can always approach the Father. The Son can always worship the Father, be grateful for the Father, enjoy the Father. That's what the Son, that's what the Son and the daughter, any child of the living God, is able to enjoy together. We enjoy that together as the church, access to the Father. Not only that, we see that we share a status in God's kingdom. He goes on to say, so then you're no longer strangers and aliens. That's not who you are anymore, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, being joined together grows, being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. You have a new citizenship in the kingdom of God. We share that as the body of Christ, as the bride. Membership, citizenship. You talk about a sense of belonging and a sense of dignity in the very eternal kingdom of the living God. Members, citizens, his household, his nation, his kingdom, his people. And last but not least, we share God's presence in our midst. We share God's presence. The church does. You say, well, Corinthians says, I'm the temple. You're right. Touche. But please, don't grab a hold of that like you're the temple of God out in the woods by yourself, right? You're going to do your own thing. No, we are the temple, right? We are the temple of the living God. God indwells his people. God indwells his people. Not just a collection of individuals, but a corporate reality. We are literally, as the church of Jesus Christ, being built together and growing as a holy temple in the Lord. And that's the most shocking thing that I see about the church, right? Because these are the very people that on the basis of covenant and on the basis of their sin and their separation from God, they were, no lo- they were not allowed to enter into the temple. Verses 11 through 12. But now these people, because they've been united to Christ as the church, as the one new man, guess what? They now aren't just kicked out of the temple. They are the temple. That's what God has done. He's created a people that he's always wanted in whom he could dwell in perfect fellowship and share his nature and his protection and his presence That's what the church is, and the church is alone. We share in these blessings, and we share in these joys, because joy is maximized when it's shared. I get in this conversation with my kids all the time. Somebody gives them something, and their their nature wants to do this. It's mine. And I'm going to enjoy it by myself. And on the one side, I'm like, you know, we all have to, everybody gets a, a few things that you just don't want people messing with, right? Like, you stay out of my underwear drawer. Like, this is my space, okay? Like, understand, there's certain things to be shared and certain things not to share. Someone say amen to that. But here's the deal. Joy is maximized when it's shared. And so my encouragement to my kids all the time is they're like, mine, mine, back and forth, is you know you're separating yourself from a greater joy. You're missing out on a joy. 
Because when you had that candy and you're like, wow, this is awesome. And then you, you withheld it from your, from your uh, sibling. You minimized the joy you could have had. Because if you shared that with somebody else, they get to speak into it and you get to share that joy. And you maximize it. Same thing about the gospel. right? The more we share the gospel, the more we enjoy it. We're like, this is amazing news. The gospel is boring. Maybe try sharing it. You might find the joy in it. Because that's what happens. Joy is maximized when we share it. And I would say the same thing. That in the church, these blessings that in evangelicalism we hold high. I have access to the Father. I can pray to Him anywhere I want. I got the scriptures. I got forgiveness of sin. I got all these blessings. The presence of God lives within me. I'm telling you right now, if you're not sharing them in the context of a local church, you're probably minimizing the joy that you can have. Because joy is maximized when it's shared. That's why we share things on social media, right? Ooh, look at what we're doing in Scotland. Check it out, man. I want you to feel what I'm feeling. And I want you to like what I'm liking. Right? Come on, that's, that's the psychology of it. Yeah, you just checked Facebook already. You're already on it now. Like, ooh, ooh, did it, how many people like my post? You want to share it, right? You want to share joy. That's the social connection, right? Sharing maximizes joy. That's what we do. We don't share these blessings with any other entity or people. We share these things that we value most with the people of God as the church of Jesus Christ, right? I mean, we try that. We try to search for connection and meaning outside of the church, Right, we go, eh, these people are nuts, you know. These people are weird. I mean, kind of have more affinity with uh, my CrossFit buddies than really the church. Right, like we share a lot more. You agree with joy is shared, but we, we share more. We share, we share suffering and pain. Man, we, when we share the assist, right, we sh- Man, my, cy- my cycling buddies, man, we go cycling. My camping friends, my coworkers, right? My guys that love the Steelers, that'll preach. Man, we share so much together. The pain and misery of the Patriots, right? We go outside of the church and we look for these things to share. And, and, and to some degree, it kind of woos us because we share certain things with them, like preferences and opinions and similarities and shared traditions, shared leisure activities that we enjoy, right? Shared preferences, I think is a big one, like just shared language, shared culture, shared look, shared fashion. Just we like people that are like us and we like to connect and share things with them. Same skin color, right? Same economic status. That's what we lo- so we go out and we find meaning and we share community with those people that are like that. And we think, oh, this is basically church, right? And I feel so much joy when I'm with these people. The Lord must want me here with these people. And Please understand my train of thought here. But you can't find these blessings in those people. You can't find uh, outside of the church 
access to the Father. You can't find citizenship in heaven. You cannot find the presence of God. You cannot find forgiveness of sin. You cannot find reconciliation with God. You can't share those things. And you guys know that. You know that when you engage those communities at a deeper level and invest your time and your money into those things, that at the end of the day when you're laying in bed, you're saying to yourself, something's missing. Something's missing in my connection. with. I can only get to a certain depth here. And you know that when you go to church, as annoying and smelly as those sheep are, and as, you, as different as they are, as they think so differently, their political opinions, their ideas, their, their, their preferences, and their music, all those things are so different than what I would normally want or desire on the surface. You know, but you know what? But the Spirit of God connects me in a way to them that no other affinity or preference in the world can ever provide. There's a connection. There's a deep union that we share because we share Christ together. And there's a joy that comes from that that nothing in the world can give to us. Christ gives it. Jesus. The gospel. When we go to church, you know what we get? Sometimes even when it thuds us in the stomach, the truth of the word of God. We engage the Lord's people. You know what we get? The gospel. That's what we get. You say, well, it's different. I'm into Jesus and the gospel, but church, you can have it. Can you really be careful now? And I'm trying to be gentle in my correction. Correcting my own heart. Please, correcting my own heart. Can we separate too far the joys of Christ and the gospel from the church? Can we do that? You say, he sounds Roman. Okay, I'm not saying the church equals the gospel. That's not what I'm saying. But I think we should be careful to separate out the gospel and its joy, experiencing its joy. Can't separate it from the living manifestation, the creation of the gospel, and that is the church, the people of God. Can we really enjoy Jesus? Can we really enjoy the gospel apart from involvement in, activity in, commitment to the church? Because the church is where we live it out. The church is where we obey the commands of scripture. The church is the very people of God that, that the gospel has created. So ask, just, just, again, just ask yourself that question. I didn't say the church is the gospel. I'm saying if the gospel creates the church and provides a community that makes that gospel visible to the world, how can we separate ourselves out from deep connection and commitment and enjoyment with the very people that the gospel has created? Can we separate the two? Or is there a thread that weaves through both and it's inextricably linked? Just look at Ephesians 2. Everybody loves Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Save me. It's by grace. Hey, bro, don't forget 11 through 22. He's made new people. He brought them together in covenant. He gave us shared access to the Father. You're, no, you're not just reconciled to God and forgiven of your sins. You're reconciled to other people in that reconciliation to God. Hmm. The gospel, 2, 1 through 10, creates a community, 11 through 22. You can't have the first part of the chapter and get so pumped about it and not be so pumped up about the rest of the chapter. Gospel, Church, unique identity in a unique people, unique news in a unique people. 
Joy is maximized when it's shared, and we share that together. And the truth is, is that we all came to faith, most likely, as a result of, you know, there's irregular stories, but we all came to faith because of the ministry and the faithfulness of the church. We retrace our steps in life. We go, how did my joy in the gospel in Christ even come about? You know how it came about? The church. The people of God that loved you and served you and brought you to breakfast. The people of God who looked at you in the eye and told you that you're a sinner in need of a savior. The people of God who week in and week out came early to set up in the parking lot. Who got the sound queued up. Who put the stuff on the screen. The preacher came forward and you know what he said? Preach the gospel to you. And you heard it. And you delighted in it. What happened is the Spirit of God came into your heart and began to change your affections. When you had disgust for the church, the Spirit of God awakened in you a new delight in the people of God because it's only in and through the people of God that you hear about the gospel, the nature of God, the beauty of God. It's only in the church. That's been my story. I looked at the title of Dan Kimball's book and said, I have no way of of connecting with that title at all. There's enough testimonies out there where the church hurt me, upset me. And friends, we've been around six years. You know what that means? Six years of hurting and sinning against each other. Let's just say what it is. You've been hurt here. You've been disappointed here. Right? But the truth is that we've also been loved here. We've also been given a lot of grace here. Right? We've also been forgiven here. We've been served here. Someone cut us a check here. When our mortgage was due and we had no money. There's a unique joy in the church. You can't find it anywhere else. Because there's a unique glory that is only in the church and its identity. My hope is that you don't miss it here. You know, every church is imperfect. Every church has its weaknesses and its strengths. Every elder, deacon, is letting somebody down at some point, disappointing them. It's just the nature of our limited capacity and our limited energy, right? But I trust that your time at renovation as a local church that's a part of the universal church, a visible manifestation of that right here and now, trust your time here has brought you great joy. It may not be the happy sentimentality. You may not be, you know, going on Facebook, love my church. You know, I'm not worried about that. I'm saying you engage the people, you hear the gospel, you sing the gospel, you pray the gospel each and every week. And as uncomfortable as you sometimes feel, you know that when you drive home, there's a deep joy in your heart because you know that church is faithful and those people love me, even though I'm very different than them. That's my hope for you. That's our hope as leaders and elders, is that you would experience joy here and that you would express that joy when you come here each week to sing, to pray, to confess your sins, to sit under the preached word, to remember at the Lord's table, to give sacrificially, cheerfully. God loves a cheerful giver. That's my wife's favorite reminder to me when I begrudgingly serve the family. God loves a cheerful giver. 
Thanks. <laughs> Cheerfully, proportionately. When you invest your time in discipling relationships, when you invest yourself in a biblical community, when you say, I know we're busy, but I'm restructuring our family's schedule to be a part of a missional community. I'm going to hop into a formation group because I delight in the body. I'm going to pray for people that are in need. I'm going to open my house and show hospitality to those who are members in the body of Christ. I'm going to serve out of my giftedness and make a real difference in the lives of others. I'm going to leave this church and go into my community with the good news in the face of even persecution and opposition. Why? Because I delight in the body and I delight in the gospel. I'm going to go to members' meetings during the NFL games. And I'm going to go on prayer walks, even though it's hot. And this seems stupid. I'm going to go on prayer walks. I'm going to go to fellowship meals, because, even though the food isn't even good. Because I delight in the body of Christ. Just hit Chick-fil-A on the way. It's fine. And you know what else? Because I delight in the body of Christ, I'm going to do? Resist temptation to publicly shame or overly criticize Christians publicly. That's my little, be careful on Facebook, guys. If you delight in the bride, be careful on social media. The church is imperfect, but it's still the bride. It's still the bride. It's still the people of God. I don't know if it's wise for us as Christians to make connections with the lost world by kicking our brother in the shin. Something to think about. I've had to think about it. It's not easy. Especially with all the silliness going on in the church today, with all the division in Twitter. It's like, man, Twitter, shut it down. You know, it's just gone crazy. Let's be careful about how we speak about this unique people, this unique glory in the world. Right? So maybe you're here today and you're disgusted. I don't know, I don't have unrealistic expectations about what, what I'm going to do this morning. I pray in some way the Lord heals you. Pray that the cross becomes the remedy for all disgust with Christ's body. Disappointed this morning? Pray that you got hope now. Yeah, there were some setbacks, but I trust that God is continuing to be at work in his people. And I'm going to have hope. Maybe you've just been like, whatever, church, you could take it or leave it. Maybe God's motivated you today, in spite, as, you've, as you've heard this unique place and identity. At the end of the day, I pray that everybody here would have delight and joy in Christ's body. That's a work of the Spirit in your life. Trust He's at work even now to give you new affections and new desires and new passions to bring about His purposes in you. Amen? There's a unique joy to know and to share in the church of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Well, Father in heaven, we thank you for your work in your Son on the cross for our sins that has brought us near to you, that has made us one in one body, and has reconciled us back to the Father. You 
have saved us from all that has separated us from you and one another. We praise you for the good news and the gospel. We also praise you for creating a new humanity that visibly displays that news. Give us joy in the church today. Heal us, give us hope, inspire us, and give us great joy. And even as we do so out of a sense of duty and obligation, I pray that even that would give us joy. I pray that we would feel a sense of devotion because it is good. And the long-term satisfaction of being a part of and belonging and serving within your body known as the church. Lord, our joy is in you, in you alone. All praise and glory be to you. In Christ's name, amen. Ooh, there we go. Let's stand up. <clears throat> We're going to sing The Church is One Foundation. This is a different arrangement, so I'm going to sing real quick for you the verse.